Hi, good morning. This is Julian Palumbo and Spirit with us. And today I just wanted to do um, sort of an extended teaching on the uh, question that we were looking at last time, which is why does God allow pain and suffering? And um, so I just want to dive right in. And we're going to uh, think about the question, why do bad things happen? And why does God allow it? Well, I want you to think about it as the way God showed me one day. It's as though God, our lives are a movie and we're the characters in the movie. Now, the, as we watch a movie on TV or in the theater, we know that the characters are living their lives. Uh, they don't know that we're watching them. <laughs> And uh, they're making their choices as they go along throughout the story. That's like we are. That's us. God is watching our lives unfold. And he is unable to interfere. He can't put his hand in and mess with the movie. He needs to just sit back and watch. And... Um, so the thing is, though, being an omniscient God, he knowing everything, past, present, and future, he already knows how the movie turns out. Just like if we finished watching a movie, we would know, okay, I know what the character chooses to do. And um, whether we think it was a good or bad choice, we, can't, we couldn't do anything about it. It was what it was. But we happen to know what he did. Well, the same with God. He happens, he happens to know the whole movie because he already saw it. You can look at it in those terms because he already knows everything, past, present, and future. He's outside of time. And I know we talked about this concept before, but just think of it as him standing out. It, what helps me, because I'm very visual, is to picture God standing outside in space, looking down on the earth. And the earth is enveloped in time. It's going on a linear, linear timeline. But God is outside of that and he's just watching it go by, but he is not, he's not influenced or touched by our linear timeline. So he knows everything past, present, and future that's going to happen. But because he's already uh, restrained his own self um, to give us free will and thereby not interfere, um, he can only watch, and his hands are tied in a, in a way. So he he's already seen this movie of our lives, and he may not interfere. But what if the character in the movie that, say we're God, and we're watching this movie, what if the character on the screen suddenly turned and looked straight at us? And remember, we're God. And they say, Hey, I'm in trouble here. Can you just please reach in and help us? Please, we need your help right now. Help us. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, God just got freed to stick his hand in the screen, so to speak, and help that character. Because suddenly, that character's will is for God to help and interfere, isn't it? And guess what? That was God's will all along. That's what he wanted to do, but he was not free to do it 
because he's not allowed to impose his will on uh, the characters in the movie. So as soon as it's the character's will, he can. So he reaches in and helps them according to their petition, which is prayer. Same thing. When we talk to God and ask him for things, hey, that's prayer. That's what it is. Um, so he's freed to help them. Now he's, he can choose to help them or not. Now that see, that's his free will on his side. He's not, um, obligated to help them and say he knows down the road that that's really going to be a bad choice. This character doesn't know it at the time. At the time, it looks like the best choice, but say God loves this character in the movie and he doesn't want to hurt him. So he refrains from helping him at that point. Or maybe he does something different that the character didn't ask for. But he knows that it is helping and answering their prayer down the road. See, from his point of view, he has omniscient and omnipotent viewpoint of the whole movie of our lives. So he, in his love, chooses to do something that maybe we don't understand at that moment as the character in the movie, but we just have to blindly trust him, don't we? Because if we're outside watching the movie, we're back in our living rooms going, yeah, yeah, just go along with it. That That's the best choice. You just don't know it yet. So anyway, this really helps me to visualize God's role. And I hope it really helps you. Um, and in the end, we'll find out that that was the most loving, best choice that he could have done for us, even if we didn't see it at the time. And now looking back on my life at my age, I can see that God has done that to me in my life. And I'm grateful that he chose the very best thing for me, even though at the time I didn't know that was the best thing. So... Now, sometimes it happens in life that God's people, his, his beloved believers, his children get hurt and killed, for example. For example, missionaries. Why does God let this apparently contradictory thing happen? Isn't this violating what I just said earlier? That he's going to interfere if we ask him for our good and for our help? The answer is no. The truly committed Christian, the true end-time remnant of believers, which is us, if you have asked Jesus to come into your heart and yielded to his lordship as your Savior and Lord, we have already at some point, and especially missionaries, of course, have done this, in their, in their walk with the Lord, have already told the Lord, Lord, use me even to death, even to the point of death. Because that fulfills Romans 12, 1, where it says, reading from the Amplified, this is written by Luke. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's written by Paul. Paul chapter 12 in Romans. I Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, 
holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, which means rational and intelligent service, and it's a form of spiritual worship. So you're putting your body, your living person on the altar to God, and that's what, what he did for us, isn't it? So we're just following our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid his body, soul, and emotions and everything on the cross for us. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done for us. And also, uh, born-again believers, remnants in this end time, the true church, also, according to uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, live by this. And it reads, they have overcome, conquered the devil by means of the blood of the lamb and by the utterance of their testimony, which is their own story of how they came to Christ. For they did not love and cling to life even when faced with death. And Amplified says, holding their cheap lives, holding their lives cheap till they had to die for their witnessing. So this is why um, even um, godly Christian missionaries who die in, in the course of their service to God, they knew full well going in that that may be the case. And again, I, I think of that um, amazing book by Elizabeth Elliot, through Gates of Splendor. And um, this is what happened when they went to minister to the Alka tribe in Ecuador. Um, the five husbands, they were fathers, they had wives, the young couples were there in the, in the forest to minister to the tribe. And um, they were all speared to death. And, um, now that I, I know I've talked about this in a past podcast, but it is very, uh, applicable here that threw me as a young Christian, I read that book and it just threw me. I just thought God was so mean and so hateful. And how could he let this happen to these young families? Well, because I was a newlywed, I was a young wife. I, I had young children and I really identified with these wives at the time. And I was like, what if somebody speared my husband? And and I had just given my all for Jesus. And, and he let this happen. How could he let this happen? Well, now from a much older and wiser perspective today, I know that these missionaries already went in with their eyes wide open, knowing this could happen, knowing that their lives might be required of them to bring about the the new birth, the spiritual birth of these pagan tribes that have no hope without them, without them bringing the gospel of Jesus to them. So that's when um, Jim Elliott made this famous quotation. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that he was one of uh, he was Elizabeth Elliot's husband who died with the one of the five men who died, leaving her alone with their 10-month-old baby girl in the forest with the other four wives. 
Now the other four, the other wives, the wives decided to stay in, in the face of knowing that these murderers killed their precious husbands. They in turn laid their lives down on the altar and, and decided to stay and carry out the work that they had all come there to do. And, um, knowing full well that this was the price they may have to pay and that they had already made that decision to lay down their lives unto the death if necessary. They love not their lives to the death. So they actually reached the Aka women by when the women saw their sacrifice and that they decided to stay in, in the pure love of Christ to keep ministering to them, to keep reaching, trying to reach them for the Lord. Some of the Aka women were just won over. They were just won over by this immense sacrifice of love. And they began to teach the women the Aka language and thereby opening the door to communicate the love of Christ to the whole tribe. And they were very successful. And I highly recommend the books by Elizabeth Elliot, who has since gone home with the Lord in 2015, uh, especially gates of through gates of splendor. It's a timeless story. And, uh, I love that quote by Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, meaning his life, earthly life to gain what he cannot lose. And that was the spiritual lives, eternal lives of the tribe, the eternal spirits that were one to Christ those, those will he, he ever be able to keep in heaven as his basically trophies to Christ that he, he brought to the Lord. And uh, it's, we, as Christians, we have to look at this life is not all there is. It's just the vestibule, the, the doorway into the real life, which is the eternal life with Christ that we will have forever and ever and ever. So the choices made here in this fleeting life that we have here, physical life, it's nothing compared to eternal life in which we'll be very much alive, living, happy, fun, joyful, laughing, doing things, doing work for Christ. We'll be, we'll have a much more abundant life then than we do here. So, it only makes sense, doesn't it? And uh, so let me catch up to my notes here. Now, if you're like me, my mind just probes. Okay, well, I get all that, but what if this or that? So my brain went to the story of Job. And if you know that story of Job in the Old Testament, he has a whole book unto himself, doesn't he? And you would may well wonder why in the world would God allow Satan to hurt him so badly? And that's my belief that God and Job had a very close relationship, which they did. And that's obvious in scripture. And Job was a righteous man and his family was blessed and they all love the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. They all love the Lord and they were righteous people and his whole household. And Job trusted the Lord utterly with everything. So one day Satan challenges God 
wanting to prove that he can turn Job away from God. That if he's, if he suffered enough, then he will turn on God. God. And God says, no, he won't. He's my, he's my man. He, he's mine. And he will never turn. And Satan says, well, then let me try. And God says, okay. Now, um, without going into all the things that happened, and you can read it, it's, it's an amazing story. Job finally says, yet though he slay me, meaning God, I will trust in him. So there was nothing that Satan could throw at him that would make Job stop trusting in God. Now that goes back to the story of watching the movie through the screen. We, from the character's perspective, let's say we're watching the movie of Job. Job's perspective would be, oh God, how can you let this all happen to me? How can you? I thought you loved me. I need help. I need help. Come to my help. And, uh, but God's delaying his help. He's not apparently answering Job. Now, Job could say, well, I thought you loved me. I can see now that you don't, and I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm not going to be your, I'm not going to be yours anymore. He could have done that, but he didn't. Being wise and knowing the character of God, he said, yet if he slays me, I'm going to trust in him. So that extreme trust, that was what the ultimate trust. There, there, once we lay down our lives, what else can Satan take from us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So then we see as the movie progresses, we see God restores everything to Job and blesses him more than he had before, which was pretty much. And now he's blessed even more and he restores everything back to Job. And this, and this whole story teaches through the scripture that God is always in control. He always knows the end from the beginning better than we do. So we better trust him from our limited viewpoint because he has an unlimited viewpoint. And God is never the enemy. And the enemy, the true enemy, Satan and his kingdom is never in control of us as believers, never. Sometimes when things look pretty bad in my life, I would cling to Job's declaration and I would, as best I can, surrender in, try, in trying to do it the best I could in childlike faith and knowing that I would just say, Lord, there's nothing I can do about this. Everything's crashing around me. Yet if you slay me, I choose now with childlike blind faith to trust in you. And uh, that had to be the Holy Spirit in, in me guiding me because in my flesh, of course, I wouldn't have done that. But thank God that uh, the Holy Spirit was with me, leading me to do that. And um, it, uh, what the, I had some trials in my life and they took years and years and years to resolve and like Job, I can say things are better than now than they ever were. He has restored to me 
everything and more that the locust has eaten. So, um, God's blessing will pour through the clouds like brilliant sunlight after a storm. If we're patient and faithful and believing. And that's the word for today. God bless you.